0: Quoting John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, here's Pastor Ed
1: Ray. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am.
0: all now filled with heaven. In this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick healed and the crippled stand singing. Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. The amazing grace of God that sanctifies. That's our focus today on growing grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've been studying the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians here lately, and today we come to chapter 4 and a very helpful section of Scripture on sanctification. Sanctification, simply put, is the process of God changing us from what we used to be into what we ought to be. God begins this transformative process by saving us, and He doesn't stop until glory.
1: To explain, here's Pastor Ed. Set aside for God's shoes. So justification, Barnhouse said, is the act of God whereby he declares an ungodly man, woman, to be perfect while he or she is still ungodly. <laughs> what? Is, is God confused? Not in the least. He understands that it's an extraordinary thing when God looks at a caterpillar and he sees a butterfly. That's what this says. You see, you are transformed. You are in the process of being transformed. You are metamorphosed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul told the Romans. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed in. That's really what he's talking about here, being conformed to this world. Don't allow that to happen but be transformed from the inside out. A metamorphosis that takes place in you, in me, that's as radical as a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Is a tadpole becoming a frog? Not quite as picturesque, is it? How about a pupa becoming a dragonfly? Something like that, okay? So sanctification is the rise and growth of a new life form. It's not a straight line. It's a little wiggly. We wobble, right, a little bit along the way. But it's going on. It's a constant process. Got a scripture for that, Pastor? Yes, Philippians 1.6. Being confident in this very thing that He, capital H, God, who began a good work in you, justification, just as if you'd never sinned, will perform it, sanctification through your life, until the day of Jesus Christ, your glorification. When you get a new XL Supersport body that can pass through walls, that can do really cool things that we can't do right now, you'll be somewhere between 20 and 30 years old. You'll be beautiful. Everyone will go, I don't think I know you. you say, yes, you do. Aren't you Miss America, ladies? No. You remember me, we went to church together. Just trying to help you look forward to that new body that's coming. Paul says, you're doing good. That's who you are. That's the eagle that God has called you to be, and he's doing it in you. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word is pornea. and uh, it means literally sexual sense. This means no sexual contact outside of marriage. This means no bigamy, polygamy, homosexuality, prostitution. This means all premarital and extramarital sex is wrong. Why is Paul saying this so clearly? Well, in the first century throughout the Roman Empire, chastity and sexual purity were unknown virtues. In fact, when you read letters or comments of the day, people were only bragging about their own immorality. No one looked at chastity as something that was a positive thing even. So, believers then and now are to follow God's standard of sexual morality that is not the current standard of this society. You see, Jesus was as far out revolutionary as you've ever considered. You are to be counterculture in the truest meaning of that word. You've been called to live in this culture, but to act differently. And Paul's going to talk about that. Now, Paul is writing from the city of Corinth, the city famous for its immorality, legal prostitution, and thought, not just legal prostitution, but that temple to Diana or Aphrodite up on the hill, at, as the sun was going down, a thousand priestess and priestesses, read prostitutes, came down into the city. Corinth was a beautiful city, at Corinthian marble everywhere, bright white marble. Here was a city that was a port, and so there were sailors and travelers going through, and it was a wild, crazy Las Vegas sort of thing. So that's the pressure that are on these Thessalonians because they're sitting at the foot of Mount Olympus, and they've got temples to Diana, and the same thing going on. It was a normal part of Greco-Roman culture. Sexual sins there and STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, were just a normal part of their lives. And into this comes this little short Jewish guy who's preaching about chastity and purity. And they're going, what? Why is that a good thing? To be set apart for God. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor so that each of you may keep his own body sanctified and in honor. NIV, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Vessel is a catch-all phrase in the Greek language. It means any kind of a container, but it was also a metaphor in the Greek language for your own body, that you have a body, I have a body. Being able to control our body is important. Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have this treasure, believer, the good news that Jesus died for your sins and you're going to heaven for eternity. And that he wants you to share that with as many people as possible. It's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit now dwells inside you. What a mind-blowing thought that God would live in me. He says, possess his own vessel, have control of his own body, and sanctification being set aside and honor. There's that word sanctification again. Sanctification and honor. Honor is an important word. God's high view of morality honors the person. God sees you as being of great value because you are made in His image. You are a sentient being. You can make decisions and choices. You have free will, and God has enabled you to have that. You are like God in that sense. I didn't say you were. You're like God in spite of other things that go on. Immorality is the opposite of honor because it degrades and reduces something of high value to something less than it is. Paul's going to build on that concept, this concept of you were called to great things. You are called now, verse 5, not in passion of lust, not in some lustful passion as the Gentiles, as the pagans do, who are ignorant, who do not know God. So, there's an obvious difference between believers and unbelievers, how they live their life, how they think. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I already quoted, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. The battle is for the mind think on these things. Whatever things are good, real, true, holy, just, these, think on these things. So, God is trying to give us a new mind, the mind of Christ. We choose to go there. Paul says, um, there is to be this obvious difference in your life from others who don't know him, who are ignorant. That's not a bad word. They, They just don't know, just like you didn't know and I didn't know Before, verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we forewarned you and justified. Never cheat another in this matter by taking his wife. That's the living Bible. Paul is clearly speaking about adultery here. Defraud, wrong, Paul says. Paul is dealing with sexual immorality in the first eight verses, and obviously he's still dealing with it here in this verse. Don't defraud, Don't cheat. Be honest. Now, it goes beyond adultery. But it was a problem in that day, and it is a problem today. All you have to do is watch TV or a movie, and at least if you listen to Hollywood, you think it was a normal part of everyday living in America we also forewarned you. Remember, I spoke to you about these things. I taught you these things. Again, Paul's not chastising them. He's encouraging them, building them up. You guys are living in a tough society, Paul's saying to these Thessalonians. Paul is saying to these Californians (laughs) uh, that we live in a tough society. Why? This honor thing comes out in the next verse. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to, again, sanctification. It's the same word, haga Amos. God didn't call us to uncleanliness, but in sanctification. God speaks a lot about the call. Paul writes about it, the call on your life. God calls us and says, come and follow me. You are called to this thing and the call does not include uncleanliness. Now, to me, this is an astounding word for Paul to choose, uncleanliness, and some would argue with it today. But I've spent a number of years as a biochemist in a clinical setting, some research, but most of it in a hospital setting. And there are more than 25 sexually transmitted diseases running rampant in our nation today. 26 of them, maybe 27, and four of them are deadly. They'll kill you. There's no cure for them. So, did you know that there are 19 million new cases of STDs in this nation every year? 19 million new cases of people that were not. Infected before viruses and bacteria that will make your life miserable and eventually like human papillomavirus HPV You'll end up ladies with cervical cancer. We all know what HIV does viral hepatitis just make your life completely miserable Sexual herpes has no cure for it and it leads to again different kinds of cancer
0: Some very sobering statistics Pastor Ed Ray has given us that demonstrate the wisdom given to us in our scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And as we continue today on Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed illustrates the pressures and implications of sex outside of marriage. And he does so on a more personal and pastoral level.
1: A young lady who grew up in the church come to me a while back she was engaged to a young man who was pressuring her for sex. She was a virgin, beautiful young lady. I've known her since she was a little girl. And she said, Pastor, I'm holding on, but it's really hard. What can I say to my boyfriend? I love him, but, but I, I don't want to have sex before marriage. And I said, well, ask him how many people he's had sex with, and then come back and talk to me. She said, okay. She came back and she said, he confessed to me that he'd had sex with 12 people. I said, well, see Everett Coop." the surgeon general of the united states said that having sex with someone who's had sex with someone else is like having sex with all of their partners over the last 10 years so if he had 12 partners and each one of those 12 people had sex with 12 people and each of those and we got to 2000 people like that and it's a lot more than that if you take it out for 10 years She said, thanks. (laughs) And she didn't marry him. She found the right guy, and she's happily married and has a baby. So, Paul says, don't get into uncleanliness. Now, it's not just physical, these STDs, but it's mental. It's guilt. It's spiritual. It will ruin your walk with the Lord. So, Paul isn't like with the, the pedagogue, the teacher beating on the desk or something, don't do this. He's saying, no, no, fly. You've been called to fly. This is a, a, an important subject. I, I know, it's, it's dead quiet in here. Everybody's going, oh, now what's he gonna say? <laughs> so I heard about this grandmother that, that visited in Southern California. Her grandchildren, she had a, a granddaughter that was in third or fourth grade, and came in late, and then the next morning the little girl walks up up to her and looks at her grandma and says, "Grandma, how old are you?" And she says, "Oh, Grandma says, "Oh, it's not good to ask a lady her age. That's simple light." Little girl said, okay, well, how much do you weigh? <laughs> and she said, no, no, it's not polite to ask a lady her weight either. She said, okay. And so she walked away, and she came back a few minutes later, and she said, Grandma, you're 62. She said, how do you know that? And you weigh 141 pounds. She said, young lady, where did you get that information? She said, well, your wallet was on the kitchen table, and I saw your driver's license. And it also said you, you failed in sex. Okay, just trying to lighten up a little bit because you're all looking really serious here, all right? <laughs> Verse 8, moving on. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. That was a problem with this? Oh, pastor, you're living in the past. You're old school. No, no, it's not me. I didn't write this, right? Paul wrote this. Yeah, but it was a long time ago. No, no, it wasn't Paul. It was God who has also given us his Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit will get us through this. It's hard. We're living in this culture that's just flashing this stuff around us all the time. Don't be concerned about what the crowd is doing. Don't be concerned about everybody else. Just do what God wants you to do. Last section, brotherly love, verse nine. But it's concerning brotherly love. That's literally the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. Phila, del Philadelphia is not the city of brotherly love. I'm sorry if you're from Philadelphia, it's a good place to get mugged, but uh, that's the name. It is a great name for a city. A little hypocritical today. But concerning Philadelphia brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul says, you're doing good in this. You have great regard for other people. He's complimenting again these Thessalonians. They're doing this right. They're loving believers. They were a church that anyone could go to and feel welcome. And I emphasize that because I believe that's true about this church. But I always remember the true story about Gandhi, you know, the Indian, quote, holy man, Hindu. And he was British educated, actually uh, went to South Africa, Johannesburg to study. Right after he got there, he'd never met a Christian in India. He was in a completely Hindu area. And so he wanted to meet a Christian and, and look into Christianity. So one Sunday morning, he went to a church And he got about two steps inside the door when two burly ushers came to him, and this was during a party, and they said, brown men are not allowed in here. And so, he left. But years after his death, his diaries were being translated. And on that day, that Sunday morning, this is what he wrote. There came that day when I considered the claims of Jesus Christ, I rejected them. Now, To be precise, he didn't reject Jesus, but he rejected the poor representation of Jesus in the church. And and so I say that just to kind of get us all to think about people that we're around, not just here at church, but out in the world, who are ignorant of God or choosing to forget what they know about God. And we need to be careful to treat them like Jesus would. You know, he's sitting down with sinners, and he's telling them about God's love. And not that he makes it easy on them, but that was what they kept saying about him. Well, he hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Well, how did he get that reputation? Well, he did it. They felt welcome around him. Why? Because he cared about them. He was sensitive to their needs, and he drew them in. Well, how do you feel about this? Oh, well, have you ever heard about this? that showing respect for the other person, even though they're lost in sin, you and I were too. We were buried in this stuff, right? You remember? I do. (laughs) I'm an idiot. I'm still an idiot, but uh, God's working on me. Verse 10, and indeed, you do so towards all the brethren. You're already doing this in Macedonia, Northern Greece. But we urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, that you increase more and more. So again, he brings this idea of sanctification. This is this process. You never arrive. God is still working on you right now here this morning. Things that we're hearing, things that we're reading, faith comes by hearing. So it's happening to you right now. Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Now this is kind of a very practical, sudden verse that comes rushing at you that's filled with many layers. Aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. Mind your own business? That's in the Bible? My mom used to quote 1 Thessalonians, 411, all the time to her kids. Mind your own business, young man. Amazing. My mom was a biblical scholar. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. Okay, so Paul is saying that this is a witness to those around you. This should be your ambition, lead a quiet life. Now, with some people, life is a crisis. In fact, they move from crisis to crisis every day. They look for crises in their lives. They talk about other people's crises that they're going through. Paul says, aspire to live a simple, quiet life. Quiet, mind your own business, love that. There was a problem, evidently, in Thessalonica with a group of brothers who would take advantage of of the love that was going on there, and they were asking for food and money all the time. You know, we'll work for food. In the second letter, Paul says, if they don't work, then they don't eat. Don't feed them if they're not willing to work. You know, we'll work for food kind of a thing. We'll test it. We'll come to my house. Pull some weeds Oh, my back. Let everyone work, laboring with his own hands, that he might provide that which is honest in the sight of the Lord, a modern translation says. Last verse, 12. That you may walk, there's that word again, begins with the word walk, ends with the word walk, properly towards those who are outside, who are not believers, who are outside the church, that you may lack nothing. Paul said, towards the unbeliever also, your daily actions need to be consistent. Walk properly, avoid interference in their lives and have an honest job. When believers display a work ethic and habits and and live in a loving and quiet manner that respects other people's privacy and doesn't intrude or gossip, it becomes a powerful testimony to unbelievers who have not gone to church or have rejected so far the gospel. That's our opportunity, Paul says, to bring the gospel, a quiet life, and enjoying join this minding your own business, working with your own hands. Again, these were people that were doing it right. Paul's encouraged them. Let me close with two thoughts. I love the true story. I mentioned a pastor, McNeil, who's a Scottish pastor, turn of the last century, and he had a, a young woman, he wrote about it college girl, come to a service one Sunday, and she gave her heart to the Lord. and She was radically saved. And she came and wanted to join the church. They had a church membership, uh, an old conservative Scottish church. And so they asked uh, one of the elders, and he was a very elderly old man, a dinkin, to, uh, to interview her. So here's this interview. Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? Well, sir, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. (laughs) He said, well, then what real change have you experienced? And she said, well, I don't know quite how to explain it, except that I used to be a sinner running towards sin. But now I'm saved. I'm a sinner running from sin. And he said, that's the best explanation of sanctification I've ever heard you're in. (laughs) Here's the way. John Newton said it, the writer of Amazing Grace. I am not what I might be, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be, I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God that I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am.
0: Pastor Ed Ray ending today's grow in grace on a very encouraging note of grace. Where would any of us be without it? We're going through the New Testament together from start to finish. And for a CD copy of today's message from First Thessalonians, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to packinghouse.org and look for our radio page. Growing Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. God is doing a great work through radio. and You can be a part of it. When you support us with a gift of any amount, we want to say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers from well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attribute of God from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us at 844-77-GRACE, that's 844-77-GRACE. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, I built with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man, sick be and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone, faith, Love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love